You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, on the Broadway Podcast Network. So if you're just dropping in, this is Tanya Pinkins, and uh, you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, and we are um, in a beautiful high rise looking out over New Jersey and Manhattan, and it's kind of the beginning of the apocalypse, it feels like, you know, except Twitter and Instagram are still going, so like how bad could it be, right? (laughs) And I'm in a room with... Seven men and myself. So, you know, we're doing the elbow bumps, but I don't know. (laughs) We're all in an age range where we should be safe enough to recover. But we just heard that uh, Broadway is shut down. And I thought that meant Off-Broadway would blow up. But Off-Broadway is shutting down, too. So welcome all of the gentlemen. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves from the Hot Wang Kang's Katori Hall's play, which is shutting down tonight. Because of the emergency. Going to my left here, Sheldon, you yes. introduce yourselves. I'm Sheldon Best. I played Isom in The Hot Wayne King. Oh, so good, too. <laughs> oh, I'm Cecil Blutcher, and I played EJ in The Hot Wayne King. Toussaint Jean-Louis, and I played Cordell in The Hot Wayne King. Steve H. Broadnecks III. I'm the director of The Hot Wayne King. And I'm Corey Jackson, and I played Dwayne in The Hot Wayne King. So... Thank you. We're missing two of the actors who are are not here with us today because the Bronx school shut down. And so one actor had to stay home with his kids. Could have brought those kids along. You know, they was going to bring us. That was they was definitely going to bring us the coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, when you read the script, what did you guys think? Refreshing, beautiful uh, story that we don't often see. uh, We don't see told enough. Uh, It was it was a it was a refreshing uh, piece of theater and which was what uh, sparked uh, my uh, my interest. Steve, how did you even come on it? Listen, it's a little story. So me and Katori, I was directing her um, mountaintop out at People's Light Theater. She was there. Where's that? Um, Malvern, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. So I was directing Mountaintop and they brought her in because they, she was doing some changes to it since because it was pre-Obama and a lot of change at that last monologue about the current state of the world. She wanted to do some changes. So me and her went to a breakfast at McDonald's over a sausage biscuit. Come on. We was at the McDonald's. And I was like, you know me, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. She's from Memphis, Tennessee, which is about an hour and a half from one another. So we were just talking about, you know, our lives. And she started telling me about her brother. And I said, wow, 
that's your next play. She was like, you're lying. You think? You think? And I was like, I'm telling you, Katori, that is your next play. She was like, I'm going to send you a couple of scenes, and we'll just see. And over the next two and a half years, periodically, I would say, hey, Katori, what you doing? Don't forget that play. Hey, Katori, what are you doing? And she's had a TV show since then. She's had Broadway shows. She's had a lot of stuff. And then one day, she called and said, hey, um, I'm just getting ready to wrap my TV show, and I finished that play you've been telling me and encouraging me to write. It's called Hot Wing King. You're on board? I said, of course. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. <laughs> now, we don't know the story of the brother. So what was it about the brother that you thought made a play? Well, she would just tell He was from Memphis, a same gender-loving man in Memphis. And she was like, you know, we got this nephew whom and the question is, can my brother and his partner raise this young man? And that was the question of rites of passage of men. And can a gay couple raise another you know, male? And I just thought it was intriguing coming out of the South right. and sexuality for black men in the South. And I was like, that's your play. And it's her play, Hot Winky. Now, you know this show is called You Can't Say That, right? Right. So I'm yeah. asking all of y'all, y'all sexuality. Oh, Ooh, you can't let's say go. That. I, yes, I can. I listen. <laughs> I, I, I am same gender loving. Same man. gender loving? Yes. I'm asking. I, I, I'm going to say, first of all, I'm going to say that, uh, that um, if anyone doesn't want to say that, that I'm going to say that that's cool. Yes, anybody is free to pass on this, answering okay. this question completely. I, I am a bisexual man. Okay. Is is cis the right thing to say? Like I don't know. For straight man? Is that what it is? I, I don't, even, know, I don't even understand the terminology. I'm, I'm straight. I'm straight male. <laughs> straight male, okay. <laughs> oh, I'll say I'm, I'm also a bisexual identifying. Okay. I love everybody. Okay. Everybody. I, okay. Oh, and, and me... Um, what am I? You know, I'm of that age where anything could go. I love it. No, anything yes, could go. I'm here for it. No, I'm here for it. I'm yeah. here for it. Um, so, so reading the play, I always just wonder those things in terms of like who you're going to play in a play and yeah. uh, what that's going to do. Like if you're playing something, like I know the first time I played someone who had to kiss a girl, I was not ready for that. I, and I was bad. <laughs> I was really bad at it. But was that an issue for anybody? But you didn't have to do that. No. So it was okay. But even just, uh, you know, uh, sexuality in the in a Christian black thing is exactly. not is not okay. No. Mm -hmm. So we got eight, six black men. Y'all got plays with talking about things that black people don't do. First, yeah. we don't do that. That's yeah. what white people do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what was it like? You know, I'll, if I could jump in, I would say um, that my experience, it was twofold. There's on the one side, it's like I've definitely experienced that, um, you know, among black people, among family, this kind of resistance. Oh, that's not a black thing. That's, you know, this is not what we. And then on the other side, within family as well, I've had the exact opposite response among people who are very Christian as well. My dad came to the play and he was like, we can't live in a bubble and pretend that these stories don't exist. This is, these are people's lives and these stories have to be told. And he was really proud that I was a part of that storytelling. Um, and so, it, so I thought that this was a, a fantastic opportunity when I saw this play uh, to be in a room with uh, five other black men as act as scene partners that because that just does not happen very much. Right. Um, and then also to be able to tell a story uh, where I, for my character, for Isom, who feels like a very free character, he, he um, I, I, I questioned how does he exist in that freedom, especially given the place where he grew up, given the circumstances that he grew up in. 
And because surely he has heard messages like that, that that's not black, that's not us, that's not, you know, whatever it is, that's, we are not like, whatever that is. And he has had to hear that and then decide what he's going to do in response to that, how he's going to live in the face of that. And that I've, I found that to be a very, um, a fantastic opportunity for my own self-reflection to see what kind of things, what messages have I heard throughout my life that I am now saying, no, I'm going to live in freedom. I'm going to not, I'm going to reject that message because it's wrong. And, um, and I found that to be, uh, to be a very interesting conversation within myself and with other people. Now there's two characters in the play, or at least there's one character in the play who's bisexual and two of the men here identified as bisexual. So what does that look like? You know, I always think that women don't accept that. <laughs> okay, you either you either worship at my church or you not. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. so you know what what is that like? I'm just curious. I mean, um, I assume that when you say uh, one character identifies bisexual, you're talking about well, in Hot Wing Kings, it, one character is he bisexual? Yeah. Well, he yeah. he says he still loves his wife. I mean, but he's it's. <clears throat> I mean, I think the question of sexuality is 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 what is can sometimes be generalized, but I think he does. He did love his wife. He did love having sex with his wife. But at the same time, he realized that it wasn't what he really wanted. And the connection that he had with Dwayne is what brought him out of that confinement of feeling like he had to fit into this narrative of a heterosexual relationship, which wasn't what he initially, like, eventually found that he loved about himself and about the people that he was surrounding himself with. Um, so I think, yes, Cordell could be considered bisexual. It's interesting because I think about just terminology and what the, what the play says. Because he's because the play, the text of the play, in front of EJ, he 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 affirms that he he considers himself gay. gay. He mm -hmm. self identifies. As so gay. And, and so I, but and I've had this conversation. So so the that word for some people, depending on the time in which I think um, you came into your own identity or you just did the research, um, you know. Gay sometimes can mean a very specific thing. Some people in, interpret gay to mean specifically homosexual, mm -hmm. but some people actually believe gay is is interchangeable like queer. It's like it's it's a word mm -hmm. that also can act as queer acts, like an umbrella for gotcha. anyone. So I'm. You well, know, you got to tell me what queer is an umbrella for, because I'm now I don't know. Oh, I I I thought I, my understanding was that queer was an umbrella for anything any identity that was not considered heterosexual. That's what I. Could I heterosexual go under queer? No. Oh. Heterosexuals, I understood, was the only thing that can't go under queer. But when you say heterosexual, it means that you are only heterosexual. Like, then I, I guess will only queer. be with someone the same sex as me. But I can be queer if I'm willing to be with anything or anyone. I'm asking. It's an interesting uh, question because it's a spectrum. Because I think mm -hmm. then I'll ask, because even as a straight man, like, honestly, I don't know. I never tried it. It's just mm -hmm. never been an interest to me. So, like, I mean, I know I'm straight just because of my experience. I don't find myself being attracted to men, but, like, no, you like, never know. You never know. That's what I'm mm -hmm. saying. So I do. I do believe it's a spectrum, and I believe I don't know. So I, I thought your story was very interesting I, that I like you told story. us <laughs> about how you discovered it. What story? <laughs> I want to know. See, I don't know if I should tell it because I might write it one day. Uh, and that's okay. You know what? Listening, <laughs> you people will listen, and that'll make them want to buy the book. Oh, but I didn't write the book yet. But see, but they be waiting for the book now. Once you tell us the story. Well, I grew, growing up, um, and I have to say, this is my first gangbang. Oh, hey. <laughs> maybe it won't be the last. Hope it is not the last. Too, My the first gangbang podcast. Live, these mics are hot. My lord, the freak house. <laughs> the freak house. <laughs> okay, tell us the story, Sheldon. Uh, so growing up, um, I grew Where? up. Where? 
in Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Okay. Um, uh, but my, my family's from the West Indies. And so growing up, I grew up in a, um, a going to a church in Brooklyn that was a very West Indian church. And the, the, they kind of believed in a more literal interpretation of the Bible. Okay. And so the Bible is the literal truth of God. And, um, and because of that, the messages in the Bible around sexuality uh, were taught in a very literal sense. That homosexuality is an abomination. It's a choice, and it's the, it's the abominable choice. It's a, it's a sinful choice. Avoid that one. And so growing up, I felt attracted to... I didn't just feel attracted to women. I felt attracted to men and women. So, At what age did you say this? Oh, so, as long as I can remember, really. Okay. Um, so uh, I always remember being attracted to both. And so when I would hear homosexuality is a choice, and it's a sinful choice, I was like, okay, that makes sense to me. You can't have a choice if you don't have options in front of you, right? If someone's like paper or plastic, those are choices. If someone's like paper or paper, you, that, that's not a choice. You are choosing, you're, you, you only have one option available to you. So I thought everybody has two options available to them, and I'm having trouble just keeping my eyes focused on one. And I thought that that was, and that was until my freshman year of college when um, a friend of mine uh, was talking about sexuality and he was like, so you really think that sexuality, like homosexuality is a choice? And I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And he was like, I've never been sexually attracted to a woman in my life. Mm. And I was like, oh. And that was the moment that I stopped self-identifying as straight. Because I was like, I thought straight people just decided not to like look wow. the other way. <laughs> Whereas I'm like looking both ways and like, oh, I like, I like, I like. But I hadn't experienced that. I hadn't, I hadn't like, like you were saying, I had never tried it. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm, if I actually just like to look, but not to, you know, I don't know what my, I didn't know what my sexuality wow. was concretely. I just knew what I was attracted to. And so, um, and so it wasn't until that moment that. But you were I, attracted to everything. Were you generally in your bones attracted to both? Mm -hmm. And you just were still a virgin when you got to college. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. Yeah, it was. And what I, I think something, just to kind of piggyback what you said about, I, I, when I first start learning about, the, we keep saying sexuality, and that's a big umbrella term, versus sex, gender identity, mm -hmm. gender performance, mm -hmm. um, sexual orientation. Oh, you know Lord, what I mean? now you didn't mm -hmm. give us all So that's, that's Explain it. And okay. we're right now talking about sexual orientation, right. which means who you're sexually attracted mm -hmm. to, versus gender performance or gender identity. Okay, now what's gender performance? Or sex. So sex is our sex organs, male, female. You're born or intersex, right? That's and that's the, your performance? No, that's your sex. We yeah, all have a penis, a vagina, or a mixture of both, intersex. Okay. Got it. Um, um, gender identity is um, how you feel. Like, um, what's his name? Um, Kardashian's husband at the time. Um, uh, Jenner. Chris, Bruce. Yes. Bruce. Um, a lot of Caitlyn people say, Jenner. Yeah, Caitlyn says, I feel I'm, I'm born with a male sex, but I feel my identity as being a woman. Or me, I, my identity has always been male. I've, never, I've always felt male I'm in that. Then there's the gender performance. That's how it shows up. Like feminine, masculine. You know what I mean? People can say Prince had a more fluid, feminine performance. Or people, how they perform your identity and orientation is who you're um, sexually engaged and attracted to. So there can be That was exhausting. It's layers. It's complex. That shit was <laughs> We had these conversations like at the table. Like, you know, in table work, like we, 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 we like unpacking all of these things that we do and don't understand around, not just for ourselves, but for the play and for these characters was so fascinating. 
Um, because like we said, when, we, when we're using the same terms, we're not always meaning the same thing right. because we don't always understand exactly what that thing means. Like we've just right. been, we, so that was the confusing thing. It's like the term gay is like, it, it, it doesn't always mean the same thing to, this, to different people, mm -hmm. depending on what your experience and how you came to know that word. Queer doesn't mean the same mm -hmm. thing to every person, mm -hmm. and depending on who you are and how you came to know that word mm -hmm. or, or attach it to your own identity, mm -hmm. uh, you know. So it, it, these conversations are always fascinating because well, I'm always learning mm -hmm. new things about about the the terminology and, and the way how people use them to identify themselves or identify other people, mm -hmm. you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Okay. I'm still, like, reeling from <laughs> all of the different identities, but the question that I had on the table yes. was about people who are considered themselves bisexual because there's that whole thing in the... Who wrote about it? E.L.? Comic Cummings? Is it E.L.? No, 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 no. He died. E. Lynn Harris. You know, he's from Arkansas. Okay. That's, yeah, I know so he's... So E. Lynn Harris well. used yeah. to write a lot about it. You know, all these black men, and they would be marrying women, yep. but they'd be on the down low. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, and who wrote on the download was very popular. I, I I I know him well too. He was on Oprah. I actually was going to travel with him with the play at one time. But yes, the download. Yes, the download. So I mean, I think I guess for me, I would imagine if everybody's consenting to people being whatever they are, it's okay. But it's when someone feels they have to lie to somebody about what the identity is. And yes. so I think you're this because that's what you told me. Yeah. And you actually want to be this. And, and that's, I think, for me, where the problems fall into. Yes. Which is the character that your guy mm -hmm. plays. He, or did he change his mind? Change his mind about loving a woman or change his mind about loving Vanessa? Well... I mean, he clearly loved his, Vanessa. They were yeah. together for 20 years. They had children. <clears throat> I mean, I think he also describes how it was something that was ingrained in him from a very young age, that he 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 always thought of himself. He, he, he was able to love other people, but it was about how he had to make the choice living under his father's rule, living under the societal norms that, that were already... Uh, put upon those people in St. Louis, that that's what he lived under. So he, he lived was by being those, responsible. Responsible or constrained like restricting him own self and i think that that's also the beauty of this that character is that he eventually finds himself wanting to be free wanting to be loved wanting to love and it happens that Dwayne is that person for him is that that is a person that brought him to love himself and is able to make him see himself within himself and i think that that's also something that's throughout the play is we're all mirrors of one another um you know i can see cordell in isom and that's something i said from the very beginning is that Isom is the one that, that seems to be the most free, and Cordell is the one that seems to be most constrained, but Isom, there's a lot in Isom that Cordell loves and wants to feel and be, mm -hmm. and that's because there is that freedom. But I can also see the trouble that Isom goes through, or Cordell can also see the trouble that Isom goes through, especially in relationships and being with somebody like Big Charles. And, um, and Big Charles and I, I mean, that's actually a character that was split by um, Katori's brother's partner, Charles. So Charles is his name, but Cordell was a name that I was given. But the two of us have that one scene where we reflect. Um, it's literally us talking to ourselves about love and needing to be loved and understanding that all little black boys deserve love. All mm. black men in the bodies, um, all little black boys in the bodies of big black men deserve to be loved. And I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, that, yeah, it could be confusing, but I think that that's also the struggle that Cordell goes through on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't know if it's that he just changed his mind and said, I want to I screw around with men. I think it's 
something that he was always that was always burning within hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, any where and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus within them now you brought up something that just i'm gonna just ask you because how many times will i have six black men that i can ask so i'm a mother i have uh three sons and i really i didn't get to raise my two oldest sons but my youngest son this was really where i got to experience it and so i just want to know what it was like for you I experienced with my youngest uh, son that from a very early age, he was already being um, pegged as being difficult. Like he got suspended from school for uh, three days at like age four because he had knocked somebody down. And I remember I went in to talk to the principal and I was like, well, they're like four. They can barely stand up, like knock someone down. Well, they were playing those games and it's violent and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well he told me that it was an accident and he apologized. And she said, well, he did, but I didn't believe him. And for me, I was like, if you're not giving up four-year-old the benefit of the doubt, we left that school immediately. And that's mm-hmm. something I, I've i experienced with my son all of his life, me having to, to step in and go, you know, a teacher calling and saying, um, uh, your son didn't turn in his final, so I'm going to have to fail him. And me having to go, no, that's not acceptable. Um, you need to find where it was. If you all graded it in class, who graded his? Where is it? And then, you know, weeks later, they find it, and it's the top score in the class. Would you guys just sort of talk about your experiences of what kind of sort of targeting happens to you? First, it's just black men. Then you can go with, you know, n- not gender-conforming men, but mm-hmm. just talk to me about that. One of the first things that came to mind was hashtag Black Perspective Matters. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I think that that is something that we do miss out a lot on. It's the fact that, like, we, we grew up in these bodies. We understand what these bodies do in space. And when we didn't understand what it did, it we felt the repercussions of just being in a space. Um, I personally grew up in Houston, Texas. I was in what we, at that time, was the GT, Gifted and Talented class. So if you looked at it in a hierarchical sense, I was in the top of the three. And what I always looked and I saw was that a lot of the black students were in the regular uh, classes, while there was the accelerated, which was in the middle. Um, from first grade until third grade, I was, I was good. I was good at reading. I was good at writing. Um, third grade, I had a teacher who told me I was not good at writing. And so that whole year, my thought process of what I could write and how I could speak, how I could communicate, shifted, went down. Then the next year, a math teacher told me I wasn't good and that I talked too much in the class, so she put me in the back of the class. But that year, I also passed the the uh, uh, ITBS test, whatever that the test is in uh, Texas, um, with like an A. But what they did was they put me in regular classes in my fifth grade year. So it was this constant 
messing with my mind of what I was capable of doing and me constantly having to fight back against that, um, but being the only black kid in the class. Mm -hmm. So, And were you know, your parents able to go in and fight for you or were they busy with their lives and other children and stuff? I mean, my mom and dad were not together when I was growing up and it was just my mom um, in the household and she was a teacher. So her perspective sometimes was that I was doing the wrong thing. Mm. You know, as a teacher looking from what another teacher would say, she's thinking, okay, well, my, my child is acting up, I need to correct him. But my experience was like, actually, no, I'm a really good child, but they keep pick, picking at me, you know? Mm. Um, but like, I guess just like learning those types of things in Texas um, made me really want to leave. And not, you know, I, I never felt like I fit in. You know, I wasn't black enough for the black students from what they would tell me. And I definitely wasn't white enough for the white students. Um, so I think, you know, black perspective does matter. And if there are people that are teaching your children that don't or aren't going to give them the benefit of the doubt, then you, I mean, I know it's hard for parents in general, not just saying people, parents of color, but, uh, in general, it's very difficult for parents to be there at the home all the time, especially with the way, you know, we run our society. Um, but there has to be some sort of support system for the child that's going through, these diverse, uh, integrated schools um, without people to actually look up to. I mean, black history was not a thing that was truly yeah. and authentically taught in Texas. It was Texas history with the perspective of Texans <laughs> right. who those happy, oppressed other those people. Happy, those happy slave workers. So I won't even get to those stories about history class. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think constantly having to go through that and fighting to this day, I mean, there's there's still that like leaving the white toxic spaces mm -hmm. and trying to then re-identify who you are as a black person in the world, let alone in an industry that hasn't really allowed you very many opportunities to uh, be a complex human being. Mm. So, I mean, that's one of the things I definitely give credit to Katori for doing is writing these six complex black men oh. that we don't ever yes. get to see. Ever get to see. I ever. thought it was like, you know, I don't want to have to compare it to anybody because I think she's just a genius, but it was like poetic. It was like mm. August Wilson poetic, yeah. these men. Yeah. Just ooh, beautiful, beautiful. Anybody mm. else want to talk about growing up as a black man? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in Chicago and I, I'll tell a story. I was went to Kmart one time. I was like seven. Um, and I was just walking around. It was nighttime. I don't know why we were there. Who knows? It doesn't matter. But we, me and my mother were there. And I went off and I'd like to explore. And afterwards, she like came and picked me up. And then she went to like, we went and she went to the man and she was like really mad. And I was like, why is she so angry at this man? And then she was like, da da da, just because I'm so, I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. She's just going off, going off. She grabs my hands, take me out the store. And I'm like, mom, why are you so mad? And she was just like, um, there was an employee in that store following you the whole time. He didn't notice that I was noticing. And my mother actually looked, she passes. I and mean, that's a whole other conversation within our community. Oh. My mom passed for white. So like she was following this man, follow me. And he didn't know that she was my mother. And so she went and cussed him out. And then she explained to me. He was, I was like, wait, mom, why is he following me? I didn't understand. She was like, I was like, I didn't take anything. I had nothing in my hand. She's like, because you are black and you're male. And she actually said because she thought you stole something. I was like, you thought I stole something? She broke the whole thing. That's just like, she was breaking racism down to me. Like, I was like, whoa. Seven years old. I was like, seven. I had no fucking clue. I had no idea. And she was just like, yeah, he thought you stole something. I was like, I didn't steal anything. Why do you think that? She's like, because you're black. I was like, what? And then <laughs> I was like, that blew my mind. And then 
And then that started to make me. Now I started understanding she looked different from me when I went to school. People be like, "Ask why I was, ad- I was adopted," and the whole other conversation of like um, targeted me. Not so much, but I noticed it with other kids. I was also another person who was like kind of the rare, like in the gifted programs, and there wasn't a lot of us, but um, there were. And I noticed the other kids would get treated a certain way, and. I know I just learned pretty early it would behoove me to do certain things, to be viewed in certain ways, to get ahead. And then mm-hmm. and I always saw that. And so and as I grew older, I was like, oh, that's messed up that I had I didn't I had that we had to do that. So yeah, um, definitely, definitely, definitely been like you said, we live in these bodies our whole life and you kind of get used to it. Um, and you normalize a lot. But now that we're like talking, I was like, oh yeah, I'm unpacking this. And I'm sure we could talk for hours mm-hmm. about different There's things so that have many, happened to yeah. us. Yeah. So. You know, it's funny you talk about uh, we get used to that in, in, in these bodies and sometimes something happens that kind of makes you remember the body that you exist in. Mm-hmm. And I find that sometimes happens for me when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. So I remember the I was in Ireland and I was there. I had been there. I spent a good deal of time there. So it was like five weeks or something. And I was getting it was maybe four week four out of five. I'm getting ready to go back home. And I start getting a, a lot of anxiety, and I and I'm not pinning why I'm getting anxious. I'm just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sleeping as well. I don't know, something's on my mind. I don't know what's going on. And it rains all the time over there, obviously. So you know, you're wearing a hood all the time. And uh, one night, I'm I'm running out of the rain to get back into this um, to like the hotel or a bar or whatever it was, and I'm running to get out of the rain, and it hits me in a flash that I had been experiencing anxiety because I was worried about going home because for the last four weeks, I hadn't thought Mm -hmm. when I wear a hood, somebody might kill me for (sighs) no reason, you know? So it was, it was crazy to, to, to that my unconscious mind was starting to deal with, yo, you better put that armor back on because you're about to go back into the war zone. You're going back into a place where you could die for walking down the street in the skin that you're in. And so I got back home and I said this to Nidra McClot, Nidra um, mm-hmm. Sulatir. And, uh, and I said to Nidra, um, I said this to her and she was like, you never know how heavy the armor is until you don't have to wear it. Ooh, ain't that the truth. And it, and, it, and it hit me that like we walk around, we get used to what it's like to be in these bodies. We get used to code switching. We get used to, um, to you know, to, to all the kinds of ways that we have to navigate walking to down the street mm-hmm. to survive. Mm-hmm. And that yes. we remember when we're reminded that that is not the natural state of being. Mm-hmm. That that is Ooh. not the natural state of being. And it has to change. I want to hear y'all answer to that question, but I just want to say this so we can come back to it. Like I was saying after the Trayvon Martin um, acquittal, it was a a, a decision I made that I was not going to take care of white people's feelings Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. because what I was aware of is that they do live in a different world than we do Mm -hmm. and that I am always walking around and protecting them in their world Mm -hmm. and and pretending that the way they're describing the world is the real world. Mm -hmm. And I do that less than most people do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always the person who's bringing a little truth into the room, but after that Zimmerman decision, I was like, no more. Mm -hmm. You're going to get it straight like I said, and I don't care what you think about it, but I'm I'm not defending your version of reality anymore mm-hmm. so we can come back to that but let's mm-hmm. talk about growing up as a black boy it's well it's funny you say that because uh, you know uh, i have uh, 
the thoughts that are going through my mind are in direct connection to that. But I, I also wanted to uh, provide a resource as I was hearing Toussaint um, talk about his experiences and hearing you talk about your son is that I just recently um, read this uh, wonderful book uh, called Open Season by Ben Crump, who's mm. a, a lawyer who actually has represented a lot of these cases of, of police brutality against um, unarmed black people. And um, he wrote a book, um, basically it's called Open Season, um, the genocide of black America, and he makes a case for why this country is is systematically trying to kill us and why it should be called genocide. Mm. Um, and, and he breaks it down into uh, several categories. And obviously, we know about the the, the uh, systemic uh, judicial you know justice system, the racism. Uh, we we know uh, there's environmental racism again, you know, housing, and but he also talks about educational racism, and mm. and there's a, an incredible amount of information backed up with facts um, that he breaks down uh, and, and they speak directly to the story that you were talking uh, about about your son and then also to about how these these educational institutions break down um, young black students at a young age um, in ways that they are conscious of and not conscious of it's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. It's not always conscious, although a lot of times it is. But a lot of times they're not even conscious of their own, you know, uh, prejudice and their own and 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 why it's uh, it's so uh, detrimental and and traumatic and problematic to the 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 the, the growth and the the um, development you know, development of our youth. And so um, he he just describes it in a way. I just, I just say, go check his book out, Open Season by Ben Crump. He, he really, um, there's a lot of great information, but the educational uh, racism section really brought to light and made clear so many things that um, I, I was and wasn't aware of. In our in our own education system, but I talked to when you uh, talking about taking care of of of, of white people's feelings. Um, my my parents uh, did everything they could to put us in great school systems. Education was very important to them, and and oftentimes putting us in great school systems and finding great school systems meant finding areas that were not necessarily very diverse, mm-hmm. because that's where the tax dollars get put into those schools. Mm-hmm. And so they're spending more dollars per student. Mm-hmm. And so the teachers are better and the resources are better. So, um, you know, I oftentimes, you know, throughout, although I would say I went, I varied through different levels of diversity in my schooling uh, from quite diverse to not diverse at all, where I was one of very few black students. Um, but the school, the schools were good. I had, I had great education, but what you find is you, you, you will often find a sea of white teachers. Um, you, I, I was actually reached out to him. My, the first black teacher that I had was my ninth grade English teacher, uh, Mr. Knox, who I recently sh- uh, found and, and sent him a long uh, uh, message because I realized how important he was um, uh, to me, how important it was for him to introduce me to Richard Wright and, and, and to read a raisin in the sun and, 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 you know, and all the, you know, that I would, works that I would not have uh, been introduced to had it not been for him. And, um, and, uh, so I wanted to thank him. Um, but what I, what I realized as I look back, as you get older and you look back, you realize how much of your education in these institutions and in these schools where you do not see a black face in front of you, actually is teaching you how to take care of white people, how to look for affirmation from white people, how to um, g- gain favor 
from white people and whiteness mm -hmm. and how you realize as you get older that you have to do all this unlearning. You have to unlearn because you have made a habit out of it from a very young age to take care of, to get praise from, mm -hmm. to, to, to be accepted by. And you realize that it's, it, their, their, their standards are quite, quite low. Oh. I mean, I used to question whether I was, was really smart because I figured out how to, I called it taking a teacher. I could figure out what they needed to hear and parent that shit back to them. Girl, that's how I got through high school. Okay. So it took me a long time to realize that I was really, really smart because most of the time I was just taking a teacher. Oh, you need to hear that. And okay. But the minute you start asking questions, you're a problem. You're a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. The so as soon as you start to ask those hard questions and you start to advocate for your own point of view, mm -hmm. your own experience, as whether you're a young black person or an older black person, that's when you become challenging. Mm -hmm. You become a problem. And, that's, and, that's, and that is that realization. When that first happens to you, when you realize it, it, you, are, you are okay until you push back, until you question. Until you want to individuate in any way. Yes. In any way. For me, um, it was... It was, it was the, the the system pushing back against me came when I became less interested in trying to finagle it and more interested in just serving myself mm. and being who I am mm -hmm. and, and who I am as a black person and all that means. And like that, they don't like that. When I started sinking into that, that's when I started getting pushed back. And like you said, it's that when you individualize, like when you come into yourself, mm -hmm. I feel that, yeah. When you come into your own yard and and it's it was just a huge, uh, it was a moment. <laughs> yes, and it's, it was it's a, a thing for me that I find challenging with black, with why they're bringing the Brits in. Mm. You can't know. say that. Yeah, it's gonna say it loud. Can't say that. Can't say that. Well, because they, they're acculturated in a completely right. different mm. way, right. and the thing that gives us our strength is what they teach out of us. You know, they mm. try to press that out of you, and they elevate the the black male actors who have the least amount of authentic blackness in them. And when they have an American black, they, everything about our being is an indictment of the society that we come up in. And they don't have to deal with that when they have a grit in those roles. True. This is Tanya Pinkins, and woo, that was part one of my wild chat gangbang with the men of Katori Hall's Hot Wang Kings. Come back for part two. Woo! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.